0: Welcome to another episode of the Learnings Podcast. Our conversation with Lebu Mulefe continues as he reflects on his experiences and shares practical changes we should be making to create a truly inclusive economy in South Africa. He also expands on his thoughts around community, entrepreneurship, and corruption. Tessa Dooms is joined by the KC Institute team, Khotos Kuman, Lebu Musiane, and Amandla Kwinana. The Learnings Podcast is brought to you by the Casey Institute for Inner Work. I'm glad that you spoke about um, trust so much and community so much as you explain that. Because I think that, um, as you rightfully say, as part of the measures of success, um, we're not measuring kind of the soft things. We're not measuring whether your brand is, is trusted, whether or not um, you know, there's equity in your, your, your relationships not just equity in your bank account. And I think that that, that that's the beginnings of thinking I, I think of an African um uh emerging market model that doesn't just count the hard stuff. And um in many ways in in the big corporate environments, I mean, um trust is not only key, trust has been an endemic part of how those spaces run. And in a society that's unequal, um I can see where, where what you're saying is is really important. What do we learn from this moment about some of the things that need to change? And I want to talk about three layers of change. Um, What needs to change about entrepreneurs themselves and about the way entrepreneurs and young Black entrepreneurs particularly um, are engaging in the idea of, you know, participating in the economy? The second thing is what needs to change in terms of employment. We talk a lot about entrepreneurship in this country, but we don't talk as much about changing the nature of employment as participation. And um, as a, as a business owner yourself and somebody who's had to employ others, are there things that we need to talk about in terms of employment that could be different? Um, And then the third thing is what do we, what, what does government do differently? in the way that it relates? And what lessons can we learn from particularly this COVID period um, in the way those three actors approach this recovery and building period going forward? There, there are some positives.
1: Um, I'm not one to, in fact, out of the People's Fund, government is the best payer, better than corporate, like 100 times better than corporate. Government agencies pay entrepreneurs on time, and in on in most occasions they pay early. Uh, this is the good run in municipalities and, and agencies. And then there's just terrible agencies that reflect this, where if you come with a purchase order from there, we're not going to touch you. Um, it's important to mention that so that we, you, people realize that there's good and bad in, in any equation, right? Now, what needs to what entrepreneurs need to uh, consider, what, what, what we need to bring closer to home for ourselves is that everything is about community. And if, when I say community, when you look at... Um, networks, whether it's, it's in Silicon Cable, we talk about state and bolsh, or we talk about white you monopoly know, capital, or we talk about free state, it doesn't matter what, which economic block we're talking about in this country, everything around that is centered around community black entrepreneurs need to find the same rhythm we need to get together and be self-sustaining in how we, we solve our problems, our government is not going to save us, corporate is not going to save us, there's nobody who's going to come and save us but we can save ourselves and we've proven it and we're not the only ones to have proven these models. There's, there's many other um, like-minded platforms that have done things like this. Um, we have just set up a new uh, uh, vehicle called That Manufacturer Stock, for instance, where we've proven that without having to wear some nice suit, get onto some fancy car and go and present to people and whatever, so that they can give you money with just what you have. on social media, you can raise a crowd and they can put money. We've raised over a, min- a million in five weeks, you know? And this is to buy a franchise, and it's a community-led initiative more than anything. So if you're an entrepreneur, regardless of the sector that you're in, stop looking at the next person around you as your competitor or somebody who's going to take bread out of your mouth and find them as collaborators and co That way, you're able to leverage of each other's strengths. You're able to leverage of each other's buying power. These are things that are preached and spoken about on various platforms, but there's not enough of people who are actually executing on that mandate. So- Follow, if, if, if you want to find better thinking or you want to find people that are doing it, follow our platforms. You'll find that there's other collaborators that we share about that we're not even partnering with, but we're more than happy to share of the good news of what other people in this space are doing. As an entrepreneur, you need to be part of a network. There's a reason why unions work. This is the reason why they become an economic block that can take on government if government doesn't uh, follow up on its mandate or whatever they say they're going to deliver. There's a reason why the taxi industry is feared in this country. When, they, when something happens that the taxi industry does not like, they come together, they band together. And that is very important to understand. And you can say all you like about the taxi industry and how evil they are and whatever else that, that we say out there, but they know how to protect their brain. This is very important to note. We as entrepreneurs, we are not doing enough of that. And it's long overdue. We should be doing that more and more. Community must be the start. Not your individualism or your... You, your idea is not best. There's very few ideas in this world that are very unique. But what is powerful, and especially from an African perspective, is this concept of what do. this concept of coming together. There's a reason why the African proverb says it takes a village to raise a child. In my context, I say it takes a village to raise a startup. Stockyards, cooperatives, just communities in general, this is a powerful thing. This is There's a reason also why you see gated communities being safer environments in the suburbs than uh places where there's no, there's no gated community. That is community. Community comes first more than anything because together you can leverage off your resources, your contacts, your network, all sorts of things. Your buying power is far more powerful when you're together. So focus on that. Think about how do we get together from that perspective. And then when it comes to employment and what we should be looking at as entrepreneurs, it's no secret that the majority of entrepreneurs struggle in this country. There's a struggle. There's a real struggle because growth industries are limited. And because we've got a largely consumer-focused uh, community of, of, of people, um, everybody wants to go and buy from the status quo. It's either you want to go and buy from ShopRite or from Pick and Pay. Or, you know, It's hard to buy from an entrepreneur. Now, when you look at the legal framework of this country, when it comes to uh, employment equity and all of those things, the average entrepreneur actually cannot afford to pay the minimum wage fee, as an example. so. Platforms like uh, Youth Employment Service, which is uh, it's titled Yes, are playing such a critical role when it comes to employment because you as a business owner, you can leverage such where they will pay the minimum fee as long as you are running a, a sustainable business and you, you have a sound mind and you can, you've got the, the, the track record to show for it. It helps you to leverage of what is already existing from the kitty that is being pulled out. Then you can top up to pay for... for, for the, the people that you are employing. Why do I mention this? If you are doing that, there's two things that you are doing really well. You are helping you the youth of this country to be empowered with the real skills because they're operating in a small business, and preferably in a small business because in a small business the average employee can function in multiple roles. They don't just do one thing like when they get into a leadership in corporate. But two, if you are paying them a, a, a fair amount because you are leveraging off the grants that are available in this country, then you you are De-risking yourself from this employee being stolen if they happen to be sold. And the pe- majority of people that steal employees from small business owners are corporates. Why? Because they can afford to pay. Uh, you have screened, you've vetted, you've cleaned this person up. They just take them like that. And it happens often. But you can, you can protect yourself from such by leveraging of some of the, um, the, the the skills development levies and funds that are available and there's multiple of these things, there's Harambe there's Yes, there's a few of them so leverage off the tools that are out there ask people if you do not know do not think that there's no support it exists but it's disjointed and therefore it doesn't speak to you and it's not packaged for you but you can leverage it and in leveraging it you can grow as well in your business I
0: think the last one I was just asking about is, um, is government, I know that you spoke about that a little bit in the beginning when you're saying government mm-hmm. does pay. But um, government's approach um, towards the question of inclusion has mm-hmm. often been um, about BEE. And I, yeah. I, I'm just trying to get a sense of if government were just to, in, a, in, in a, a line or two, approach this differently, yeah. what would your advice be to them? Okay.
1: I, I like, for instance, what the Minister of Small Business Development is doing. Um, in, I think the president brought up about the district model which is the three spheres of government being aligned. So you don't have to go to CEDA in Pretoria for you to get support. You can go to the local municipality and put in your application. And just at that district level, you can get support all the way. That is the intention. What we struggle with in this country is execution. Why? We talk too much. We have endovers and meetings about meetings and for meetings. That is the problem of this country. We, have, we do not have enough operators and people who are just there to execute on the mandate, on the vision. We don't lack vision. We've got too many plans. They're all sitting there. They After we, we, we draft one plan, then we go and draft another one because we're trying to improve the last plan. But we have not even implemented on, on, on version A of that plan. So I don't think that we have an issue around the framework or the modeling of what is supposed to happen. But we do lack people who are passionate and who 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 wear their hats on their sleeve when it comes to executing for the interest of the young people of this country. That is a big, 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 big disconnect for us, where one moment you're dealing with a politician, or you're dealing with a policymaker, or whoever, and they're saying the right things. We hear the right things all the time, and we agree with them on the platforms that they get on. But then you look at the execution. You look at where this policymaker lives versus what they speak about. There's a disconnect. Like all of these things, like they're so intertwined. If you are making a policy about um, a village, but you you've only been to a village like maybe twice a year, or you last left the village like ten years ago, and now you live in, in suburban areas, but you're busy making rules for those people in the rural areas, you do not have enough insight. But you want to tell them what to do. So there's no there's not enough of the spirit of collaboration. And I think if government agencies and together with civic society when they get together with the small business community, include people in the agenda. And when you say inclusion, when you talk about including them, I'm not talking about speaking at them. It's like with us within the third the network, when we help entrepreneurs, we do not count any entrepreneur as a beneficiary. We, we, I hate those terms. I mentor a lot of entrepreneurs, but I look at them as my equals. Why? Right? These are job creators of the future. These are future custodians of this country. And therefore, they are just as valuable. And I've learned this lesson uh, very importantly from my own daughter. She's five years old, but she holds me to account. I have to listen to what she has to say, and I, and, and I can't shout at her. If I shout at her, she shuts off. So we must apply those same principles when it comes to how we are engaging with our stakeholders in society. Treat them as your equals because they have the solutions, and they are just as valuable. They're just as smart, but they need to be counted.
0: I love that because um, it it speaks to two things that I think um, is a broader governance issue. And that is the sense that the people who govern the country don't necessarily live in it, don't necessarily understand it on a day-to-day basis. But more importantly, that there's this kind of paternalistic relationship between government and people, where government sees themselves as doing for people as opposed to doing with them i think that's a similar thread from our conversation um before where we really need to get a sense where we're all working in this together as opposed to government seeing itself as needing to just deliver for people and and not um see them as participating in, in the process um i'm going to i'm going to um, hand over to colleagues um so um khotso um amanda lebo anyone have
2: um, questions that you like to ask? And Dr. Uh, I think I, I want to ask the same question I asked ask Rev. Do you think those leaders, both in business and in government, have the capacity to reimagine an inclusive economy? You even have the younger generation of people in government and in business who think the best way to do business, is to work as hard as we can to accumulate, even if it's, an, even if it's at the expense of leaving the majority out. How would you respond to such a, such a question?
1: It boils down to vision. I think we must start there. And I think one of the challenges we're currently facing is a leadership deficit because there's not enough young people in positions of power to influence the agenda to suit young people. Old people speak for old people. You know, even when they think they're speaking for young people, I mean, I will always make an example about myself. My dad is a pastor and I was raised uh, very strictly, but I did not turn out uh, to be the way that he intended for. I became very rebellious because he was telling me what to do as opposed to walking the journey with me, mentoring me, but allowing me uh, to to be myself. He was trying to uh, groom me to be him. And that is a big, big, big problem when it comes to when when we talk about the the, the question of inclusivity, young people, uh, old people are ready to die. And therefore all that they want is the comfort of what they fought for. So when we speak about freedom fighters and anybody who fought for apartheid and now that we're here, they just want the comforts. But unfortunately we've got new enemies here. We've got poverty, we've got inequality, we've got unemployment. Those are big, big, big problems, but they are not being led by the people who have those, who, who, who are faced by those challenges. In those apartheid days, the same old people were young people. They so were fighting for politi- political freedom. The new enemy is economic freedom, and it's a real, real one. But we do not have enough young people challenging the status quo and saying, look, the way that things are operating, we do not like them and we want to change it. So just by remaining dormant and expecting that old people are going to solve your problems, that is the, the challenge that we face. And you cannot expect anybody who's in a position of power to change the status quo. Uh, whether it becomes with BEE, where we say we're busy saying uh, uh, economic capital lies in right hands and therefore they must give us a seat at the table. No, we must create our own table and counter it. And we know that one of the ways to do it is through the spirit of Ubuntu by coming together in numbers. That's what will actually work for us because we do not have enough capital individually in our pockets of society to be able to, to achieve anything of value. But collectively, there's so much more that we can achieve. The, the reason I, I, I start with vision is because you can mobilize people, both emotively and in terms of execution, when there's a strong vision in place. If we're to ask ourselves in this country, what is the vision for young people? Only only Julius Malema and his people can actually put, put together something that will mobilize young people. Who's challenging that or who's for that? You know, like the people that are appointed in government, majority of them are old and they're going to represent those interests. So if you're young people being appointed by the the, the current uh, uh, political principles, it's hard for you to be able to challenge your political principle if you do not have a backing or enough support in your corner. So the young MEC from that department who's running X, he can't do much if he does not have uh, support in his corner. And that that comes back to how many young people are actually strong enough to challenge uh, or speak truth to power within the same organization, I cannot see it being a citizen on the outside. I only see it from the opposition party, where you, you can see that, okay, the opposition party is led by young people, but within the main, mainstream party, who is there to challenge or speak truth to power and still be able to stand? Because you will be silenced if you do not have support in your corner. So what is the vision of this country when it comes to young people? If we can clarify that, especially economically, where we can show that this vision is inclusive it caters for young people. It caters for previously disadvantaged people. And it's, it's there to serve the interests of the nation and the future and future generations. And we can mobilize around this. It becomes easier. Right now, we are led by old people who are ready to die. And that is a big thing to, to, to note, that they're not there to start new businesses. They're not, new businesses are not going to come from old people. They're ready for comfort. But young people, what are they doing? What are they doing from a, from a civic society perspective in getting involved in the conversation? But not only talking, because we talk too much in South Africa. What is happening when it comes to actually executing on the mandate? But if we are to count on the few young people of excellence who are sitting in positions of power, there nothing is going to change, and nothing will change purely because they do not have enough um, uh, social capital or social currency in their corners alone, you know, to be able to to, to, to challenge the status quo. And therefore, they will assimilate in the, in, into the environment of whether it is corruption or whatever. They will try and fit into that crowd because. There's, I don't see a clear vision of young people for the, for the future of this country.
2: I wanted to, to probably more ask a question for understanding uh, with regards to the crowdfunding and the execution and more particularly to say as you, you fund the guys with a with purchase order or credible sort of customer at the end and as you raise this crowdfunding pool of people, Um, from an execution and putting them in the mainstream and showing them as a class of bankable entrepreneurs in a small medium enterprise, are there any chats with, with the banks to say, look, these people have had this sort of execution track record. You can bank them. You can provide them with facilities so that you you leverage your, your crowdfunding pool or do you feel that the community will grow over time?
1: Yeah. So let, let me also paint a picture there. We, we believe in challenging the status quo as long as it makes sense. And mm-hmm. then we believe in having the right executors or operators running the businesses where they've got the skills and then mobilizing a community behind them to be actually execute on this. We set up the people's stock file, where everybody contributes a hundred rand every month. In setting this up, the stock file is going to turn into a cooperative financial institution and that is actually happening. We just finished a meeting with Treasury last week and that process has been happening for over 11 months so it's a long journey. From CFI, we're going to move into cooperative bank. From cooperative bank, we're going to move into uh, mutual bank. So it's a journey and what we have done, what we focused uh, deeply on is governance, processes, the digitization of uh, entrepreneurship and banking and all sorts of these things. So we are building our own community where we would like to see a situation in the future where if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking for funding from us, you should be funded at 0%. And that can only happen in a community model. And we must find other pockets of excellence where we can make money from. But it is, it is the challenge that we are facing, that or rather what we are challenging is financial inclusion in the true sense of what it means. We know that the average entrepreneur who comes to us looking for funding is actually blacklisted. So they don't even qualify from the banks. So instead of trying to push them into that rejection pool all the time, even with private investors like angel investors in South Africa, they like the the, the, the nature of uh, venture capital, the industry in general is run by bean counters. Accountants. Accountants in nature are not set up for risk. They are set up to 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 mitigate against risk. So the banking uh, fraternity in, in its entirety is set up to 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 be counter revolutionary to including young people in this country to including any black owned business owner why because you are high risk you're just naturally high risk and people are still going to go through failure even if with your degrees and stuff you're going to go through failure with the business that you're executing because you need you need runway you still have to take in uh, there's, there's emotional things that you have to go through there's depression that you still have to go through. There's, there's, a, there's a pathway to entrepreneurship, to getting to that level of sustainability where you are okay and where when you come across a failure, you know how to back it up. It takes time. And I say it takes seven years in this country. That's what I've seen for the, from the average entrepreneur who, who ends up doing well. not, not, I'm not And I'm not talking about just self-employed people. I'm talking about people who, who, are, who are growing over time. They have more losses than they have wins, but they're able to bounce back very quickly and start the next thing or leverage what they know from the previous thing and, and run with it. But the banking industry and the finance industry does not support that. It just doesn't, because it is risk-averse in nature. So we have decided that instead of knocking at the door and, being, uh, and asking to be included, we'll build our own table. And this cooperative uh, for finance, that is exactly what it's going to solve. It's not just going to finance Black-owned businesses, but it's going to help a lot of those Black-owned business owners to finance their houses, their cars, and everything. Why? Because they're going to be equal shareholders in this. Only time will tell whether we're going to do this thing right. And the only thing that can hold us accountable is the governance uh, systems that we set in place. And uh, like, if we leverage uh, governance systems and all of those things that must make sure that the checks and balances are in place, then we can go somewhere. And that's why we set up committees. It's a long process and it's going to take a, a bit of time. So when it comes to that, I mean, one of the things that we, 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 we don't just fund entrepreneurs, we guide them on stuff like pricing. Uh, a lot of them, are charging 10% to 15% profit margins uh, for, for their purchase orders. We challenge them. We challenge them to, to, challenge, to, to charge anything above 20% and, and, and up. Why? Because you must make money. Us as the funders, yes, we take 6% of the, of the PO value, but we want you to make money. It's important for you to make, to make money because when we hold you as a success story or as a case study of how you can fund an entrepreneur differently in this country, we must be speaking about things we understand. And because we are those people, majority of us are not bankable in the formal system, but look at the value we provided to the marketplace. Collectively in our network, we've done over 500 million um, with, with the different companies that actually own the people's fund. But individually, we can't prove anything of, of, of substance or over time. But collectively, there's so much more because it's community. If we understand the concept of community capital and how we can leverage off each other to buy the block, to like all sorts of things, if we can leverage this, because we we operate with this principle in micro environments, and that is actually the challenge that we face, that we are not exposed to a macro situation where we're saying, hey, could we potentially buy famous brands out of black people? But we will talk about it on social media and do everything else. Very few of us are going to execute on that mandate or try and figure out how far we can go with this thing. So that is where we are coming from as entrepreneurs, because we are entrepreneurs first and foremost before anything else. We are saying... We are going to try and execute on this thing, but how we are going to protect ourselves is by bringing the best skills in the business. We're going to bring the best people in each of those working committees who actually have the skills who are educated in a particular way. But we, we've provided a very clear vision. We're saying you can, you can own a bank. And that is a, that, that's a very clear vision to, to be a part of. And then the question is how? And then we've digitized that process. It's transparent. Anybody can see. Anytime the, there's money that is withdrawn from the account, everybody can see it. There's an accountability pattern, not, not to wait and hear from some community reporting back to tell you, uh, okay, yeah, here's how we spent the money. You can see it. You can see the moment money moves. And that transparency builds trust and it buys us the trust that we need from society in general.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned a similar right at the end about everyone being able to see the transactions that are made because that's exactly what I wanted to find out. You mentioned trust, you mentioned community, but there's, there always seems to be corruption. I just want to hear from you. What type of people do you think will help us have this unified vision, this community, this trust to move us towards, the, or towards a more inclusive economy?
1: For me, ethics are everything. Um, we we've seen it so many times. We we've we've found ourselves in situations where we've had to lose work, and the reason we've lost that work or we've lost certain deals is because somebody wanted viola, right? They they wanted a bribe or there's just that culture in this country, unfortunately. But it's not only in South Africa. It just it's very highlighted. It's very you know, and it, it exists all over the world. We must also just put that into context. So. How do we work against that? I always say that business is built at the speed of trust. How do you build trust? You build trust by delivering on your promise. And for me personally, as a slaveholder, I know that all that I have is my name. So if I am found to be involved in some sort of shenanigans that, um, uh, that that create distrust in the marketplace that make people view me in a particular light, then I've lost my social currency. And that's actually my my biggest strength as a person that I am able to stand up on a platform whenever and say, we are going to do one, two, three. And I know that people respond to it and people take action. And the way best way to measure tran- uh, action is through transaction. You can't transact unless you are trusted with something. And we have built all our platforms in the public sphere, literally built our businesses on social media with everybody seeing everything. And we are often advised not to do that, but it's an intentional thing. It's an intentional process on our part to say what the talk Don't preach it, walk it. And we walk the talk because we know, we know that we have a very clear vision of the future. We have every intention of creating wealth in this country, not just for ourselves, but for people around us. We believe that if there's more people who are wealthy around us, we are all going to be safe. I want a very safe space for my daughters in the future. And that cannot happen as long as there's such a high crime rate. The reason there's such a high crime rate is because there's a a high unemployment, there's high substance abuse, all of these things are so interconnected. So as a, as a business owner, you can't think about profit only. You can't. You have to have people into consideration that, are my daughters going to be safe here? If I die today, what does my environment look like for my daughters? And it's a big worry in this country if my daughters are not economically empowered to be able to decline certain things or to be able to, to, be able to take action in a particular way if they feel like they're in danger of some sort, whether it's GBV or anything of that nature. All of these things are linked to to, to to economic means. When you lack economic means, you, 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 you are very vulnerable and you can be abused in any form. We've seen it with politicians, they go into poor communities and they give people T-shirts and they give them food parcels to vote for them. Why? That's economic power. People are not equal economically, but how we can solve that problem in, in an equitable way is by making sure that we are trustworthy and we're executing on the mandate that we put on the table, but it must also be sustainable. So. Don't do things just from a charitable point of view. Think sustainability, think legacy, think generational planning in everything. The things that we constantly complain about where we know, I mean, one, at one point we had and that day, the founder of the African Bank come to the hookup dinner. He spoke about the bright light syndrome where we leave the rural areas where we've got the most arable land and where we can produce and actually export our goods to other countries because South Africa can feed Africa. But we choose to come to the city and get hungry and get fed uh, labor wages and stuff. And that comes back to, do we have a very clear vision of the future? Do we know where we're going? If you don't have a very clear vision and mission about life in general, it becomes hard to be able to find the right people who who can help you execute on that mandate. People are attracted to to people who who, who have a vision of the future. And unfortunately, there's also charlatans in society. Who use the same mechanisms? Be it motivational speakers, or pastors who are out to get people's money, or people who start stockfalls. I mean, I just read two days ago there's a stockfall that was started in February and they did over forty two million by defrauding society in general. They've got over three hundred thousand. Can you imagine? In a few months, they've managed to get to collect them one hundred and eighty Rand from everybody and have over forty two million in their kitty. And they took that money. They took forty four percent of that money and went and bought uh, cars. Why? Because there was no transparency. I don't know what's happening to my money, but they're promising people little things. All of that is because we don't create a culture of transparency. We we speak in secrets, like we speak in, in codes. Uh, as employees, you don't look out for your fellow employees. If you can see that they're getting a road deal, you don't look out for them. Like All of that goes back to community. We're you, operating from an individualistic point of view. So those are some of the critical things for me when I come back and say, okay, to create an environment where... There's a future. We must be transparent. We must have sacred values about humanity. We must care. We must lead with love. And we must operate from a, from a place of love in everything that we do. That involves business. You will not sell uh, things that are, that, that are harmful to the next person if you care about the environment and the people around you.
0: Um, I just wanted to highlight something that, that just stood out for me in this conversation. In most conversations with entrepreneurs, the word that you hear is competition. You hear about competitiveness and being competitive and being the best and being able to bring the best to the table and beat your competition. And to hear an entrepreneur not say competitiveness, not once, but say collaboration a million times over is just such a different mindset and a different shift in psyche. Um, I asked um, Reverend Chikane the question about psyche um, as the last question. I was going to ask it to you, and I just realized you've given us the psyche and the perspective, and it's the shift from a competitive economy to a collaborative economy—a com- you know, an economy based on trying to beat the next person and an economy based on community. And I think there's so much to learn from that paradigm shift alone. Um, and so I just wanted to thank you for participating. Um, in this in this space and in this conversation. And I know that it's been enriching and I'm sure um, it will ignite um, not only more conversations, but hopefully more um, intentional action for change. So thanks so much.
1: I appreciate you for having me, cast
0: The Learnings Podcast is brought to you by the Casey Institute for Inner Work. Join us again next time.